I took a video of the day that she test drove the Vectron. I went to this alley, which is a very steep hill alley in Minneapolis. She started biking up the first time she went up it, just started smiling, started laughing. And like, as soon as she passed me, she's like, it's so easy or something like that. And I was like, that is a good testimonial right there. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Active Towns podcast, conversations about creating a culture of activity. My name is John Zimmerman. I'm the founder of the Active Towns Initiative, and I'm humbled and honored to serve as your host each week on this podcast journey. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's always wonderful to have you along for the ride. Today is Friday, the 21st day of May, 2021. And in this week's episode, I'm excited to share with you the super fun conversation I recently had with Brandon Lust, AKA American Feetster out on Twitter. Brandon currently resides in Minneapolis, Minnesota, but he and his wife, Tatiana, are in the process of moving to Carmel, Indiana, the roundabout capital of North America. We talk about that and dive deep into understanding how he became so passionate about Dutch cycling in general and utilitarian cargo bikes in particular. But before we roll into those discussions, please allow me a moment to recognize that this episode is being brought to you by the generous contributions of our donors, sponsors, and monthly patrons on our Patreon page. And thanks so much to Jan out in Slovakia. I really appreciate the support. Now, if you too are in a position to help out, please head over to my website at activetowns.org and click on that bright blue donate button at the top right corner of the page. If making a donation is not in the cards right now, another big way that you can contribute is to share the podcast with a friend or within your network. This is probably the most effective way to grow the audience and the culture of activity movement. One last reminder before we get started, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to and rate the Active Towns podcast on your preferred listening platform. Thanks. Okay, time to get this chat with Brandon, the American Feaster, rolling. Well, Brandon, it's so wonderful to connect with you here today. Welcome to the Active Towns podcast. Yes, thank you, John. Thank you for having me on here. I'm humbled you asked and was surprised, but I'll see if I can uh, say something worth listening to. <laughs> I'm sure you will, actually. Well, first of all, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to, to chat with me today and, and to the audience about active mobility and specifically Dutch style bicycles and how that has profoundly impacted your life. Uh, but, but, but first, to get us started uh, and to set the stage and give some context to all of this, please take a moment just to share a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure. Well, I uh, currently live in Minnesota. Before moving here, I lived in Brazil for a few years uh, with my wife. She's Brazilian. And I'm from Illinois, the very center of Illinois, quite literally in a corn and bean field. Uh, my family has a farm there. And so my my progression has been from the bubble of Illinois, my the majority of my life. Got some experience abroad living in Brazil and then moved up here to Minnesota and have done some traveling between then and now. My background has mostly been in agriculture, um, nothing to do with cycling, urban infrastructure, city planning, none of that. The last time, you know, outside of recently that I was on a bike, I was 
under the age of 16, you know, pre-driver's license. And then um, getting a driver's license, well, who rides a bike anymore, right? That's stupid. This is this is America. You don't, <laughs> you don't do that. But obviously, some things changed for me a handful of years ago. And well, here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, and, and what, uh, what city or, or town nearby town there in Illinois? Um, yeah, see, so rattling off a of town doesn't help anybody. So, um, not Chicago. Let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> it's a, it's about two and a half hours South of Chicago, um, around the Champaign, Illinois area, actually a little bit South of there. But if anybody's familiar with the university of Illinois, it's that region. Yeah, very much, you know, uh, that whole part of the Midwest and that area, once you get outside of many of the, the larger metropolitan areas, you're you're right into major, major agriculture lands and mm-hmm. and, and things of that nature. So uh, and, and how large was was that farm that you grew up on? Um, it was a small farm by most definitions, um, but just just enough to kind of support. A household there and uh which was my grandparents but i grew up working with them and everything and since then farms have gotten bigger <laughs> a lot of big investors come in and buy up land and, and everything and push people out so uh, there's no reason for me to stay and try to keep doing that because it was financially impossible so i left and yeah there you go i grew up on a, a small ranch in northern california and i can i can also look back to the time you know, we lived, you know, several miles outside of quote unquote town, but in town, which was a small town of Lincoln, California, at the time, it was just, you know, like 4,000 residents total. And totally, you know, get what you're saying about, you know, we were, you know, as soon as you were able to to get your license, you, you got your license. I used to joke and say, yeah, I, you know, once I turned 16, I sold one of my horses and used that money to buy my first car. (laughs) (laughs) But, and I, and I did ride uh, a bike and I had bikes. And as a kid, you know, bikes were central to our freedom of being able to get around from one ranch to the next. And we would build jumps and we would do all this and, and we would even use them as, for utilitarian purposes on occasion, you know, we'd ride into town and, and be able to get to, you know, various, you know, little league practice and this and uh, a 4-H meeting and a FFA meeting, you know, all mm-hmm. two organizations that FFA, by the way, is Future Farmers of America, for those who may not know that in the audience. And so that was a central part of, you know, my growing up too. So I, mm-hmm. I get where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah. We, so. we also lived in town. Um, same as you about a town of 4,000 people. And so the bike for me was, I mean, that's how I went to friends houses. That's how I went out to the outlet mall to buy a CD at this music store. And I, I had a bike and I just went everywhere. I was constantly on that thing. But yeah, again, Age 16, that was it. I mean, there was a brief period where that bike got thrown in the bed of my truck. Yes, truck, right? But that didn't last long. Eventually, the bike just went to the wayside, went to the garage, and that was that. Yeah. I picked up riding again in college uh, for utilitarian purposes, and then the bike sort of disappeared from my life until I picked up mountain biking for, for recreation purposes. And, and it was like one of the things that I did for fun. 
and then it it sort of drifted into the background again and then i picked it up again for utilitarian purposes when i moved to chicago and it was what was interesting about that particular period of my life was that i mean i was into developing healthy active communities but i was doing it through a, uh, a platform of building fitness centers and wellness programs on large corporate campuses. And so uh, when I was in Chicago, I had built a, uh, a facility for Motorola out at their world headquarters in Schaumburg, Illinois. And I would do the reverse commute for, from the, um, uh, the lakefront and make my way out to uh, Arlington Heights. And then from Arlington Heights was where I had my pickup truck. Yes, a pickup truck <laughs> parked uh, and stored. So I would actually do, uh, you know, my own version of planes, trains and automobiles every day. <laughs> I would, uh-huh. you know, get up and I rode a $15 rickety bike that I just picked up, you know, at a either secondhand somewhere. And it would get me from the apartment to the train station. Then I'd take the train station out to Arlington Heights where I had my my truck parked. And I did that simply out of pragmatic reasons. It was so difficult to find a place to park in the neighborhood that I lived in, in, in on the lakefront there in uh, Chicago, that it just made way more sense to not have to drive and try to find a place to park. But I didn't think about it. It didn't hit me until years later that, you know, that whole concept of using your, your a bike. And it, it was, like I said, it was years later before the epiphany sort of struck me. Let's talk about your epiphany. So you said that you didn't really pick up the bike until you were an adult. I guess that would be the case again for me, too. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about that moment. Sure. What happened? How did it happen? Yeah, so that's how it happened, and what I used to be is plays the largest part in into why I even mess around on Twitter uh, with advocacy and sharing the things that I find to be interesting now. So I like to preface it saying that I used to be um, the everyday American out there that we I hate to teams out there, but we, uh, as people that want to ride or walk or do other active forms of transportation, we find ourselves pitted against, right? It's the person in the car, the truck, the SUV that just hates cyclists because anybody on a bike is a cyclist. Um, that was me. I, I remember back whenever I was, I was working out in fields and driving to fields and driving through town and doing work, I'd see a guy on a bike and I would get in that mindset of, oh, I hate you so much. Get off the road. Why are you on my road? Okay, I pay for this road. Well, what are you doing out here with your recreation? And I would I would just get this. <clears throat> it, 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 it's fun to look back on and think just how stupid that was. But it was something that starts to get ingrained in a lot of people because of our car culture that we have. So that's just a little bit of background on the idiot that I used to be, um, that so many people out there are, but it's based in sheer ignorance. They just don't know any better. I didn't know any better. So anyway, um, 2017, that was my epiphany. Um, my wife had started going to the Netherlands for, uh, work and, uh, she had been a few times and she was going to have to go back again. And 
I was like, oh, hey, should we do a vacation? You want to come along? And I, I can't say I was ever that excited about Europe um, because we'd lived in Brazil. I was really into the whole, you know what? Everybody else does Europe. Uh, let's let's explore more of, more of South America, you know, but but I gave in. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll buy a plane ticket and uh, come over and check out the Netherlands. And I didn't know much about the Netherlands. I was even I even remember being a little put off because I was like, ah, but don't they mostly most of them speak English? It's like, that's not interesting. I want to go somewhere where somebody's, you know, always speaking a foreign language. Nonetheless, I went. And um, the moment I arrived, things just started standing out to me, you know, um, because I remember doing a little bit of research before before I flew out. Because, yeah, anytime an American goes somewhere, what do you do? You rent a car, right? So I started looking on uh, Google Maps. I'm like, okay, so I'll arrive at Schiphol. Okay, I'll take a train. That's interesting. To uh, Dimbals. And then, oh, I guess I'll actually walk to the place that we rented. That's weird. Okay, I can actually walk with my suitcases. All right, well, then once I'm there, I'm sure we'll be Ubering or I'll have to rent a car or something like that. But I'll figure it out when I get there. Landed at Schiphol, walked underneath the airport, got on the train. I was like, well, this is pretty neat. I haven't been on a train since I was a kid. And, uh, Took it an hour down to Dumas and got off and just walked so easily on the big, uh, really nice uh, pedestrian pass alongside the street to a place we rented. And gears were turning in the back of my head, but I, I didn't fully realize what I was seeing. But what happened was I just I just started seeing people on bikes biking everywhere, people walking everywhere. I didn't see a lot of public transit in that city, right? But I also noticed that there were, there were still cars, of course, but they were on uh, smaller streets, you know, narrower lanes. There were fewer of them. I noticed that people didn't scurry across the road when they had to walk across a crosswalk or wave at the driver. Hey, thank you for, you know, not killing me. Uh, they just walked as if they were entitled to do so, right? And it was just, it was foreign. It was alien to me. It just seemed so weird. So during that first day, which was like a week and a half, I can't say that it really hit me while I was there, but I was noticing, you know, wow, look, this street, only people can walk and bike on it. And then there's outdoor dining. You can sit out here and dine and you don't have a car trying to parallel park right next to your table. It was just, it was, yeah, it was an epiphany. It was like, whoa, th this actually works. You know, when, when you're, when you're an American who lives in an American bubble, you hear these people uh, say, oh, but well, we need transit and we need buses and, and we need bike lanes. And you just think, okay, that's a lovely little world that you live in, in your head, but that can't possibly work. That's because most of us have never seen it in practice, put into play and actually working. And, and sometimes if people can't see something, they just don't understand how it works. They don't put much more thought into it past that. And, and that's that. And I think that's the American mindset for a lot of people. The Netherlands changed me. And so it was after that first trip that um, as soon as I got back home, my brain didn't shut off. I just kept thinking about those things that I saw. And, well, it, it hasn't stopped. Uh, here we are three, four years later. I got back and I, and I thought, hmm, 
I think it would be kind of neat to have one of those Dutch bicycles I saw. I wasn't, I wasn't all into it. I wasn't like, oh, I want to do this and I want to ride a bike everywhere. I was just, you had some disposable income and I was like, yeah, I want to buy one of those, those neat looking bikes. That was interesting. So I started to do some research and, uh, you know, go to Google, type in Dutch bicycle. And, uh, I found a, a shop in Chicago, JC Lind, you know him. I don't. Oh, uh, John Lind, uh, he sells Dutch bikes and mostly work cycles, but uh, Gazelle, and now he's evolved into some e-cargo bikes and stuff like that. And I remember calling and talking to John and I was like, oh, I'm interested in a Dutch bicycle. What do you think I should do? And we talked about Gazelle. We talked about work cycles and I didn't know anything. Those names meant nothing to me. And I erred on the side of saving some money and bought myself a Gazelle Tour Populaire or something like that. It's like an Opa Feats. It was like 1200 bucks and got it shipped over to Minneapolis and had it for a little bit. It's like, okay, this is neat. I got one of those Dutch bikes and I was riding it, but I couldn't do much with it. You could put some paneers on the back and you could maybe put some groceries in there, but it, it just wasn't, it wasn't my thing. It, but I also didn't know at the time that I was becoming a cargo bike person. I still didn't even know much about cargo bikes. Well, I'll, I'll just make this observation that I'm not surprised, <laughs> you know, <laughs> having been somebody who, who grew up on a ranch and, you know, always had a truck for utilitarian purposes because, you know, yeah, it could I, I could throw my bikes in the back. I could throw, you know, eventually I ended up living near uh, near surf a couple of different times. I could throw my surfboard in the back, my kayak in the back, but mm-hmm. I could also, you know, go over and pick up several bales of hay and I could do things. So, you know, that pragmatic utilitarian, you know, construct, I think is, is like, you know, inbred in us. And the fact that you ended up with a work cycle, I mean, (laughs) what better cargo bike name could you come up with, with somebody who has that sort of pickup truck, you know, kind of mentality. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it was funny a little bit when you were telling the story earlier of, of your bike progression it got me thinking back about whenever I rode as a kid. I'd never really thought about this before, but I never went on bike rides for fun. I, I never said, oh, I want to go ride my bike. And and I actually had never thought about that until today. I only rode for transportation. I rode to a friend's house. I rode to accomplish something. I never got pleasure out of just riding a bike. And I'm still that way today. I I only, it only really clicks for me to know that I'm accomplishing something. It it doesn't mean that I don't occasionally go for a ride for mental health reasons, especially lately, but yeah, the utilitarian motivation is what gets me, what drives me. And I've noticed that it, it, um, it gives a sense of accomplishment that we don't have nowadays. You know, life has become so easy. Jump in the car, go here, uh, expend a l- very little effort to accomplish something. I could easily drive our car to go get groceries, but how would I feel after that? Rid- riding my my big cargo bike and picking them up and bringing them home, I, I get this sense of accomplishment. And I think we need that. 
Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. And now you said you never got pleasure from it, but at the same time, you mentioned mental health reasons and you mentioned the sense of accomplishment. It's what's interesting about that, especially from a behavior perspective, is if if I just listen to the words that you use and you had never said, I never get pleasure from it, I wouldn't get that you never get pleasure from it. <laughs> I would actually get that, yeah, there was a little bit of joy there. It's, it's you, you know where I'm going with this? Yeah. Is that I get what you, you mean by saying, you know, I didn't do that primarily for that reason. But mm-hmm. I think the fact that you keep going back to that well of, you know, getting out on the bike and doing utilitarian trips you know, humans are such, and, and we see this in human behavior, are such that if it was an overwhelmingly unpleasant experience and displeasurable, you wouldn't keep going back to it. And that's the joy, the beauty of riding a bike and, and cycling, especially for utilitarian purposes. Now, you had a post that you put out uh, just just today on, uh, on, on Twitter, and you said... The Dutch will never know what it's like to ride a utilitarian cargo bike around their city and regularly have people gawk and comment about how cool that is. For them, I see this as a curse and a blessing. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I I think about that because when I'm consuming Netherlands media online, which is every day, (laughs) all the time. I'm always looking at bicycles. And that's the other thing I tell people, I don't love bicycles. 90% of bikes, I don't care about. They don't interest me. But when it comes to Dutch style bikes, utilitarian bikes, cargo bikes, I love looking at them. So when I'm, when I'm consuming that media or whenever I'm in the Netherlands, I'm always checking out those bikes. It, it's really cool. And if I, if I were to see somebody there on a particularly interesting bike, I'd probably say something about it. But to them, it's just, oh, you know, it, it, it's for us, like whenever we see another car, another SUV, another dude in a pickup truck, it's like, oh, okay, no big deal. Yeah, they, they'll never know what that's like to, to do what they do as just regular life for transportation, riding a bike, and have people look at them, uh, I don't know whether with baffled eyes or interested eyes or, or something. And yeah, they're lucky that, that it's that way because their country has evolved into that. But also it's kind of too bad, you know, because a lot of the Dutch live their lives day to day and they don't, they don't understand just quite how special their situation is, but they're, they're starting to know because there are people pointing it out. I mean, look at uh, Jason from not just bikes and, course all the work that bicycle dutch is doing and uh too many people to name modacity especially we're pointing things out as as outsiders and some of the dutch are starting to take notice like oh what we have is kind of interesting i thought it was just normal and i thought everybody had that (laughs) yeah yeah no I, i i totally get what you're saying and and you're absolutely right i mean it's to them, it, for the most part, it's such a, a a simple life tool that just sort of, you know, fades into the background of their life when 
they, you know, they see and hear about outsiders fascination of it, whether it's people from North America coming over or elsewhere around the world, they're like, really, you're, you're like (laughs) interested in this. I mean, you know, and, and so it, it, but you are correct. They're starting to really many, you know, individuals, uh, you, you've mentioned, you know, Mark from Bicycle Dutch and as well as Jason from, uh, not just bikes. Both of these are, are, uh, very, very active YouTube channels as well as Mark, uh, you know, does a, a, a tremendous amount of writing as part of his blog. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and then you also mentioned, uh, Modacity, which of course is Chris and Melissa Bruntlett and, and Melissa's with Mobicon now, and uh, and Chris is with the Dutch Cycling Embassy, and their transplants from uh, the Vancouver area. Now, you had mentioned you're you're sort of like this this advocate, and you also you know present yourself as an amateur in this area, an active mobility sort of amateur who's you know fascinated by this, but you're also studying up because I know you're studying up because we brush shoulders all the time on the Mobicon Mm -hmm. Academy. So where's all this going? I don't know. Probably nowhere, honestly, especially because sometimes I catch a little bit of heat for the way I word things or the things that I say on Twitter. I I don't mean to offend anybody, but it's social media and well, that's what you do. You offend people no matter what you do. But, you know, some people will get mad at me and say, well, well, if you're trying to build a coalition of advocacy and so on and so forth, maybe you shouldn't word something this way. And it's like, I'm not trying to do anything. I'm not trying to build anything. I make no money from doing any of this. I get this is a hobby that's gotten a little bit out of control, basically. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So where am I going with it? I don't know. And I could I could probably stop the Twitter. I could probably stop the advocacy tomorrow. I don't know. I've, I've hit a wall a few times lately. I do blame it on uh, pandemic. It's, it's hard on everybody. And it's at least for me personally, it's hard to stay motivated sometimes in this whole uphill fight, especially over here in North America, but I don't think it's going anywhere, but then again, I never saw any of this coming in the first place. So, so who knows? I, I can say I've found myself a little bit, if this makes sense. I'm in the fishbowl now. I don't live in the Netherlands. I'm not Dutch, but I've been so immersed in the Netherlands, in Dutch cycling for the, the years now and just consuming media every single day that it's starting to get... Um, very normal for me and a little bit harder for me to pick out some of the special things. It's not that I don't see them, but it's just, I think, oh, well, of course there should be a bike lane here. There should be a place to park here. I mean, duh, it just makes sense. Uh, I I remember hearing Chris talk about it on one of your podcasts. Uh, He said he found himself in the fishbowl. Now he was cycling behind a group of uh, girls and they were, kind of taken up the whole lane. He he's like, and he said, well, at one point he would have found that remarkable, you know, probably tried to take a picture, but then he was kind of just annoyed because they were rude cycling, (laughs) taking up the whole lane. And uh, just, I don't know, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm, I'm finding myself to get that feats mentality 
now. Just like, okay, yeah, I just want to ride a bike. I want to get it done. I don't want to have to think about infrastructure. I don't want to have to advocate every second of the day. It just, it should just be. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've noticed that that's been happening. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what you just said there. You just said the Feetzer mentality and you sort of also, you know, alluded to something that Chris uh, Bruntlett uh, observed is, you know, human nature started creeping in and he started getting, you know, impatient. So so what do you mean by the Feetzer mentality? Um, I don't want to think about the fact that I'm riding a bike. I don't want to I, I just want it to be as intuitive and simple as how most people just get in their car. You know, I don't want to be like, Oh, look at me. I'm riding a bike to get groceries. I, I just want to get on my bike and go get groceries. And yeah, duh, it's transportation. It's nothing special. It's nothing to be, Hey, look at me about, you know? And to me, I think that's the Dutch feature mentality of like, yeah, what's, so, what's the big deal? It's a bike. And I rode it to do something, you know, uh, I, that's, that's where I'm falling into. Yeah. And I love that too. I'm glad that you, you mentioned that and diving into the definition of what a feature is, it's, it's really more like, uh, walking with wheels. In other words, it's as Chris refers to it, it's pedestrian plus they have a completely different Dutch name, which escapes me at the moment for, sports cycling, which is more like a veal runner. There you go, which is going fast on a bike. So the Feetzer, which also happens to be your Twitter handle, right? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead and say it. Uh, American Feetzer. So he is the American Feetzer. Your journey, you're you're not solo in this journey. (laughs) Multiple times you've mentioned your wife. Where does she kind of fit in on this? What's her take on on this this fascination? Sure. Um, I don't know what her take is on it. <laughs> All I know is that I, uh, I didn't have to try too terribly hard, but I managed to drag her into it a little bit. Growing up in Brazil, it's it's not like growing up in the U.S. where every kid gets on a bike, right? For the most part, right? She never rode a bike as a kid, and I taught her to ride a bike in 2015 as an adult on a cheap specialized bike that we picked up at a sporting goods shop and I taught her in a unused abandoned parking lot surface parking lot go sounds like a good use of a parking lot to me yeah um and so taught her to ride a bike then um but that bike was very uncomfortable as most bikes sold in the US are. So it's not like we became bike riders, but she did kind of learn, but it also had those big uh, wheels, the, the, the typical standard wheels. What's that? Maybe 26 inches or something. I don't know. Anyway, she, she still didn't feel um, safe, confident on that. She felt too far from the ground. And so that bike collected dust and we sold it for next to nothing a handful of months later, what got me started on getting her back on a bike. I wound up going to the Minneapolis e-bike challenge. I think it's called in 2019. They held it at a convention center in Minneapolis and it was, uh, I was just walking around. Of course, Gazelle was there and 
some other, you know, companies that make e-bikes. And I looked over and there's this corner booth uh, by a company called Turn. I'd never heard of Turn. Knew nothing of them. But I, I noticed that one of the guys was uh, demonstrating and showing their, uh, what I know now to be the Turn Vectron uh, to some people. He's folding it up. It had these little 20-inch wheels. Of course, the, the Bosch E-Assist and everything. And I was like, oh, oh. I think, I think that would work for her. It's small enough she'd feel in control, be able to put her feet on the ground, has the e-assist to help, right? That gives confidence. I need to find out some more about these. So I went over and talked to him and checked it all out. And I was like, well, where, where do I, where do I ride one of these? Where do we buy one of these? Found out about Perennial Cycle there in uh, Minneapolis. So I went over there one day not too long after. And I said, I want to test ride this Vectron and, uh, sure. And gave it to me. And of course me, I'm almost two meters tall and the Vectron was a very small bike. I barely fit, but I took it out and it was actually the first time I, yeah, it was the first time I ever rode an e-bike. I think uh, I'm losing track now, but a, a real e-bike, like it was built from a factory as an e-bike and it blew me away. It was so fun. It was so easy. And, and hills, gone. I mean, I I found some hills in Minneapolis and took it and tried it. I'm like, okay, yes, yes, she has to ride this thing. And I even looked at the price tag, four grand. So what, right? Cars are what, 40000 <laughs> So I took it back. I went home and I told her all about it. I'm like, oh, it's, it's this big and, and you can put your feet on the ground and you can go up a hill and you won't stall out and crash and fall, you know? And so she was very skeptical. She's like, okay, we can go test ride it. Made an appointment, went one day, like a Saturday to test ride it. Beautiful day out. And we took it to ride uh, around um, a nearby lake. And I thought, okay, I'm going to follow her and I'm sure she's going to ride. And it was a very busy day. So tons of people on the path. And I'm like, that's going to make her nervous. She's probably going to stop you know, a couple times and it's just going to be kind of an awkward thing. As soon as she took off on the bike, she never put her feet back down until we got back. <laughs> she slowly maneuvered around people that were taking up the path or went up a hill and went around obstacles and round corners without problems. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, whoa, that that's amazing. And I, was, I asked her how it was and she said she loved it. The, the e-assist gave her confidence. The 20-inch wheels, a smaller bike, you know, uh, made her feel safer and more in control. And that's all we had to hear. So we bought that. And then just, just to shrink the story, fast forward some time, eventually she got so good and, and so confident at it. I'm like, you need more cargo hauling capacity. <laughs> so then the turn HSD was out. And that wasn't quite the GSD, but it wasn't the Vectron. It was that nice, sweet spot in the middle. Went and test rode it. Good. Bought it. Sold the Vectron. Bought the HSD. And, geez, just a week later, she was hauling a massive toaster oven home from Best Buy. A person that had never rode a bike, wasn't confident on a bike, is now a, a cargo biker. Yeah. Right? Two years later. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. And, and. Thank you to e-bikes and thank you to turn and the designers that, that are helping, you know, it's, it's design and e-bikes that are going to get people 
who were never bike riders and never going to be bike riders onto bicycles. Yeah. Yeah. And that's proof is right there. Love it. I love that story. And I love turn, uh, Arlie, if, uh, you're listening into yep. this, uh, <laughs> there's another success story for you <laughs> and Sean, you too. <laughs> hey, th- that is so cool. And I'm assuming when she you know, turned around and said, I loved it. There was a big smile on her face. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, I have a, it's lost in the weeds somewhere, but there's a Twitter post of, I took a video of the day that she test rode the Vectron. I went to this alley, which is a very steep hill alley in Minneapolis. And I was like, okay, cause I tested the bike on this alley and it, it basically just took me up to the top. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta see what happens. So I had her go down at the bottom of the hill and I stood up at the top and was like, okay, go and pressed record on the phone. And she, she started biking up. The first time she went up, it just started smiling, started laughing. And like, as soon as she passed me, she's like, it's so easy or something like that. And I was like, that is a good testimonial right there. Yeah. Yeah. What a great, what a great moment. Yeah. But we never get any joy out of any, any pleasure out of riding our no, bike. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> it's just not true. It's just not true. <laughs> so you two are making a huge move uh, very, very soon. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, um, we're relocating to Carmel, Indiana, which is people know nothing about. Uh, it's flyover country. Who cares, right? But they've been doing a boatload of work for the past two decades on making their city more people friendly, um, not designing around the standard American design of the car, right? They don't believe in on-street bike paths. So whether it's an extra wide sidewalk or an actual bike path, they do everything they can do to make that infrastructure exist off-street to create a connected network. They are they have invested heavily in rezoning, recreating their their downtown core to be a place for people, you know, a place to exist, not just a place to park your car. So we were being from Illinois. I remember going there in 2011 before we moved to Brazil. We went over to Bub's Burgers because I saw it on the show Man vs. Food. You went and ate like this, oh, just this massive burger the size of your head. And I was like, oh, I want to try that out. And I remember going over there and, you know, 2011, I still didn't give a darn about bikes or anything. But I remember getting to town and looking around and I saw a bunch of people walking, a bunch of people biking and really a really people friendly environment. And I remember that I noticed that I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I never forgot it. So now let's fast forward to pandemic hit. And my wife got lucky enough to take her position 100 percent work from home. And we were allowed to go anywhere we wanted in the U.S. And I remembered, oh, yeah, Carmel. Let me let me look into that. Started to look into it. And I was like, OK, yep, that is going to support our car light lifestyle so that you can bike sa- safely. I can bike safely. And that stupid car can sit in the garage where it belongs. Well, it'll, it, it's there when you need it, when you really, truly need it. Yes. And even better, it's. 10 years old, it's paid for. So it's not too much of a burden on us, you know? Right. Exactly. So started to look into it and yeah, found a, found a really, uh, a new, uh, 
neighborhood being built in their uh, downtown-ish area and got very lucky to get a lot, built a house, and it's going to be done in 28 days. So four Fridays from now, I will not be in Minnesota anymore. And nothing against Minnesota, but I'm very happy about the fact that we're leaving. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love some of your posts too, because you, 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 you also, in addition to Twitter, you, you have a blog where you, you put some posts out there and it's fun because you, you oftentimes, you know, reference, you know, the utilitarian nature of what you're doing. And, and, uh, the last few have been, you know, sort of along the lines of this may be one of my last posts, you know, from the snowstorm kind oh, of situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Writing in, in, you know, because, Hey, Newsflash for for all of you who may not know this. Uh, yeah, you can actually ride a bike pretty pretty comfortably in the snow. Yeah, you can. And I would I would love to say something about that. So Minnesota and some of the people, I guess I'd say friends, even though I've never met them, helped me learn how to do it. Uh, at one time, yes, I would have thought that's impossible. Now, of course, infrastructure matters. You need your infrastructure to enable winter cycling. <laughs> if you don't have bike paths that are separate from the street, it's not going to happen. So painting bike lanes on streets and saying, yes, now you can cycle in the winter, that isn't going to work. But fortunately, where I was at, I did have relatively easy access to dedicated bike paths. Uh, but I learned how to dress, and that took two winters. My first winter, I failed and I almost got scared off completely because I thought I was going to get frostbite on my fingers and toes. It's because I simply just didn't know how to do dressing. <laughs> and so that, that was a learning curve. But luckily, I would sometimes tweet something out like, what do you do? How, how do you dress? Because I thought fluffier was better. And fluffier doesn't equate to staying warm. And people from around here would chime in and say, do this, buy this, wear this, whatever. And I started to learn and put it into practice. And next thing you know, it's, you know, negative 10 Celsius. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but I would be biking 20 kilometers round trip to pick up groceries and there would be tons of snow on the ground and, and everything. And at one point I would have thought that was impossible. It was not. And it is fun. It's fun. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah, there and there's that fun factor. Oh, again. dang it! <laughs> I gotta be careful what I say from now on. <laughs> hey, we're serious here in North America. Yeah. We, you know, we don't we don't do fun. Nope. Well, getting back to Carmel, one of the one of the things that's interesting about Carmel is that they are noted as being the you know North American capital of roundabouts. They have over 130 roundabouts that they have constructed. It's 150 ish now could be they're they're building them fast I, I have a hard time keeping up with exa exactly how many are in the city proper and and they're starting to spread uh, outside the city limits um, I ran into the mayor a few years ago and uh, he had mentioned to me that that he wanted to make Carmel in addition I was I, I met him at a, a conference of people for bikes places for bikes conference uh, in Indianapolis, and uh, he encouraged me to ride up up to Carmel, which I did uh, the next day. But he also said he is 
committed. And uh, I do have a, a, a one of the city council members, uh, Bruce uh, Kimball, is a, a regular follower on LinkedIn. I'm not sure. I think he does also listen to the podcast as well. So if so, hey, shout out, Bruce. Thanks. And they're committed to trying to make the city much more bike friendly, in addition to that people orientation in the downtown core. And as I understand it, they're going to start getting serious about doing more protected infrastructure, protected bike lanes, in addition to the separated pathways that they do have. So it'll be interesting to see from your perspective as a new resident uh, getting to Carmel, how that process is going. Uh, For people who may not really understand uh, the fascination uh, of roundabouts and traffic circles and things of that nature, I'm going to have to do an episode specifically about that. I actually do have an alter ego out on, uh, on Facebook called In a Roundabout Way. I've been fascinated by roundabouts for for many many years and specifically people oriented roundabouts because we can do roundabouts in north america but usually when we do them we're doing what's called the modern roundabout which facilitates fast car movement which is not necessarily very pedestrian or bicycle friendly when it comes down to you know those interactions however the netherlands which is the the what i like to call the dutch style roundabout especially those within the core downtown areas are pedestrian and uh, bike priority roundabouts. And uh, when you look at the cycling infrastructure and the pedestrian infrastructure, they don't look like roundabouts at all. They look like, you know, a square grid pattern Mm -hmm. with a motor vehicle roundabout on the inside and uh, tremendous safety records on that. They're now getting to the point where if they can fit in a, a roundabout into their space, they see that as a priority because it facilitates the slow moving motor vehicle traffic and giving priority to uh, the pedestrians and and, uh, people on bikes whenever they can. So it'll be very interesting to see. And and I do plan on following up with you in a few weeks, months, et cetera, uh, how that move is (laughs) is coming along and all that. Now, here's a question for you. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I just, I look, I look forward to going there and um, of course, showcasing everything good that they're doing right um it uh, there there's definitely a blueprint for cities in north america based upon what they're doing but i will not hesitate to point something bad out i mean for all the good they're doing they do need to know where they're not you know and um yeah some just for example i i have consumed a bunch of media of them talking about their roundabouts and one thing that continuously bothers me is I keep hearing kind of the phrase how it supports facilitating the movement of traffic. You know, it's right. like, okay, yeah. guys, that's not the point here. Uh, right. So I don't know. Yeah, they're good. They're good. But uh, I, I, I'm going to show the good and the bad. And I, I hope that some people take note there and listen. And if I'm right in certain places, I hope we can make some changes to make it even better. And uh, I also hope that I can show off enough good things that maybe some more like minded people will come to town and buy a house and <laughs> live with us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So here's a fun question for you. 
you had said that you all had the ability to move anywhere in the U.S. and uh, you decided to move down the road a little bit from where you're at right now up in the Minneapolis area, Minnesota area, uh, down to Carmel. Let's let's play a little hypothetical. How about if you could move anywhere in the world, where would you guys choose? Oh, the Netherlands. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, where? Where and why? And how, how would you do that? How would you make that happen? Uh, where, where, um, city, boss for sure. Where Mark is at bicycle Dutch, because that's, that's the city that we stay in when we're in the Netherlands. It's, uh, it's great because there's no tourists. It's quiet. Uh, it's beautiful, historic, and I can, I can get anywhere. It's like, I can access the entirety of the Netherlands from that city by just Taking a bike, taking a train, taking a bike. Done. Now, geographically, I think Mark had mentioned to me that it's not not far for him to get to, to Utrecht. Uh, where is it geographically? Uh, south of Utrecht. Um, and you can you can be there, I think, in like 20, 30 minutes by train. It's really easy. Yeah. It, it's an hour to Amsterdam from there. So, Are, are you a, an entrepreneur by chance? <sighs> no. No, okay. I, li- okay. life's too short for, jeez, <laughs> no way. You're born. <laughs> the reason, the, whole, the only reason why I ask is uh, the the DAFT, the Dutch American Friendship oh, Treaty, yeah. which was which was signed into law in 1956 uh, after World War II, is sort of a a thank you, uh, a joint thank you, a friendship treaty between the two uh, countries. Um, you know, because of uh, of of what the United States had done during the during the Second World War to. Uh, to release the, the the Netherlands from the the grip of of uh, of Hitler and and, and the Nazis, uh, it allows U.S. entrepreneurs the opportunity to uh, acquire Dutch residency for the purpose of starting a business. So you can always keep that in the back of your mind if uh, you've got an idea for uh, taking the American Feetzer uh, brand and and creating a you know thing. And if if, if in fact your wife's uh, job allows her to live anywhere in the world. I know that right now it won't happen because we, we did have the option. We tried going there and eventually a company was ready to almost hire her and let us go. But we've moved internationally yeah, already, yeah, yeah. you know, Brazil and, and everything. And, and we're getting kind of tired. So we need a home base. Yeah, we're, we just want to stay someplace. And so we, we opted for... She opted for a different uh, career opportunity, which, again, kept us here, and we're fine with that. We can we can buy plane tickets and go to the Netherlands, so <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, once we can all travel again, uh, which I hopefully is on the on the near horizon, uh, we can get back uh, to the Netherlands, and I can't wait to get back too to to see some of these same characters that we've mentioned multiple times <laughs> and, and check in with them. Yeah, I. I really want to get back because it's, it's what fuels me. If I resorted to just North American advocacy and biking and thinking within that whole world, I'd probably hang it up and go back to driving. Well, and, and, and what's, what's really encouraging, there has been a huge shift in the narrative as to what's going on. What was bicycle advocacy you know, 20 years ago, it doesn't look any anywhere like that. I mean, we have let go of 
the stranglehold that transportation cyclists had on us and, you know, and in, in, in that mindset. And we're now heading in a direction of creating environments which are safe and inviting for all ages and abilities and, you know, turning to the models that are out there. Uh, in the Netherlands, in Denmark, and in other places, and learning. And what I love about the the humbleness of the Dutch is that they are like, look, you know, we had to learn this. You know, it was, it, you know, we try this, we try that, we tinker, we we we. Sometimes things don't work. Don't just think that we're saying do this. You know, it's not a copy and paste type of thing. Uh, there are principles that you can use, like, you know, thinking about systematic safety and things of that nature, but you're going to have to adapt each and everything to the reality on the ground in your city. And that's what I love about that, that concept. Yeah, that's, that's something I learned from having my Mobicon Academy subscription. Come on, it's cheaper than Netflix. Sign up, people. Probably at one point, I would have said, Oh, the Netherlands does this. Why don't we just do that? And and I did learn through them uh, from Melissa and also Leonard. Now, Leonard, it's not a copy and paste. It's um, it's a design principle that you can put into play based upon what you have. So uh, it's it's been nice to learn from them the basic principles and then see how that that fits within a North American context. Exactly. Yeah. Love it. That's great stuff. Hey, what additional things that we haven't yet talked about that you want to make sure we mention? Hmm. Okay. Well, just, just one thing I want to say is something about Mark bicycle Dutch. Uh, he's one of my best friends. We talk on a daily basis and pretty much never get to see each other anymore. His work is just amazing and everybody should follow him. Uh, he's on Twitter. He's on Facebook. You know, of course, his blog, um, his, his work is is phenomenal. And, and yeah, it, I mean, it's all based around Dutch infrastructure, cycling, and, but it, it can be amazing inspiration. And uh, the people and uh, the designs that he showcases is is just it's what people need to see, you know, cause like I talked about before, Americans need to see things. They need to see it at work. They need to know that, you know, what we do here isn't the best and isn't the only way. So Mark's work really puts that out there and shows what the Netherlands is doing, the Dutch are doing and how the people live. So there you go. Not just bikes, Jason, follow him. His videos are amazing. He makes these videos that combine media that, makes it so you could go, you could just take, pick a video of his you like, go show it to somebody who doesn't give a darn about bikes or bike infrastructure and just let them watch it. And it might be enough for them to at least get it right. So I, I'm just bringing this up because, Hey, people to, to follow, pay attention to, to help, to help educate and get rid of some of the ignorance that exists here. Yeah. Uh, and then of course, modacity and, but there's so many good people and, I don't understand how my American feature name keeps getting brought up. People tagging me in or asking me questions because I'm, as I've said over and over, just an idiot with a Twitter account. And this is just fun. And I'm, I'm not an entity that is trying to create 
a huge cycling movement. All these other people, they're doing the real work. They're doing the good work. They're doing the professional work. I'm just sitting on my couch with my cats on my lap, tweeting things that I might think is interesting. <laughs> well, I so, gotta, I gotta cut in and just tell, just say this: you're not just an idiot that's that's sitting on your <laughs> your couch with your cat. I mean, even Mark. I mean, he he has a full time job doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does this uh, because he's passionate about it. I'm not sure, but I think Jason is the same. I think he has a, a, a whole nother career and he's, he's really taken to this, you know, this medium. And in fact, he just produced a wonderful multi video series for strong towns and did just a, a fantastic yes. job of defining the strode. I'm, I'm hoping to get both Jason and Mark uh, on the podcast so that, that the audience can learn even more about them. But I'm going to amplify what you just said is, yes, by all means, folks, follow Bicycle Dutch with Mark and not just bikes. Uh, Jason, uh, they're doing amazing, amazing work. And later this coming month in May, we will be uh, interviewing Chris and Melissa Bruntlett. They have a new book coming out by Island Press, uh, Curbing Traffic. So we'll be interviewing them and, uh, and, and getting that perspective as well. Last question for you. So you're not just an idiot, you know, putting stuff out there. You're inspired. You're, you're becoming an advocate. And, and, and guess what? You, you don't there's no degree that you have to do. There's no studying. You just have to be someone who has that passion. So for those people who are listening into this conversation and, and they're inspired, they're like, wow, you know, I, I would like our community to be safer and more inviting for people to walk, for people to bike, be more people oriented. What advice would you have from your perspective as, you know, this, you're relatively new. This has been a, a three to four year journey for you of, of getting excited about this. What advice would you have for them as to how they can make a difference in their community? I knew that's what you're going to ask. Um, so the trap that I tend to get sucked into, this is something I wanted to say earlier, is I, I've found that my Twitter feed AM and PM are a little bit different. AM is pretty uh, upbeat, positive, inspirational because the Dutch are still awake <laughs> and they, they're putting out their media and, and I'm retweeting it or finding cool things and, and, and forwarding those on. But then they go, they start to wind down and go to bed. And then in the PM, it's uh, the North Americans uh, who are tweeting and, and talking about stuff and, and over like over there, they have it. I mean, they got the good stuff to show off over here. We're just getting killed left and right, trying to get a bike rack and we're all pissed off. Right. So it's like the morning is positive, upbeat and the PM is angry. <laughs> and, uh, I get sucked into that. And, and I don't think that we're getting anywhere with all the angry stuff, you know, um, it's not that it's not relevant. It's, and it's also, it's useful of course, but I guess what I'd have to say is here's what I do when I bike to get groceries and I've lost track of how many times I've biked to get groceries. I take pictures almost every stinking time and I post them almost every single time. Not as if these people have not seen me bike for groceries before, but maybe they'll share it. And, um, uh, somebody else will see it and be like, oh, that's how you get groceries by bike. 
or somebody else who has a bike who's never gotten groceries and is mildly interested in this will just keep seeing this over and over and be like, you know what? Okay. I see how he's doing it. I see the, the, the parts of his bike or the accessories that are making it possible and making it easy. Oh, okay. Maybe I just need to add this and then I can start getting groceries by bike. So I think media take pictures, take video, don't worry about your tweet titles or your Facebook dialogue. Something very simple. Just got groceries by bike today. Some neat photos, you know, or a neat video and just post it and, and use, let the media do the talking because you're probably going to muck it up with your words. So just let that camera be the inspiration and hope that it, it, it works. I, I have had people send me private messages saying, Hey, like what you're doing. I, I always see that you're doing this by bike or doing this. And it got me to go do it. And my mind just gets blown when they say that, like, and then I start to think, okay, this repetitive thing of just trying to show somebody how you can do it and that you can do it. It got somebody to go do it. So if you want to make change, show off how you are doing it in your city with your camera and, and don't worry about the words, let the camera talk. And, and I don't know if that makes sense. That's my, uh, that's my opinion. I love it. I mean, I think that's great advice for us all. And, and for me, it reminds me, I need to be more active of snapping photos because it's the same thing. I mean, my grocery run, which is multiple times per week is, is always on my bike. And I've just gotten out of the habit of it's become so commonplace to me. I do feel a little bit like, you know, a Dutch person in the sense that for me, it's just an extension of my feet. And I don't think that it's something special that I need to be taking a photo of, but that's being selfish. That's just looking at it from my own, through my own eyes and not realizing that I do have a following and active towns, you know, is something that is, is being followed globally. And so I do need to be a little bit more diligent about getting, uh, especially on my Instagram account of getting some of those photos out there of, of stuff and doing so in, in a, like you say, in a, in a really positive way that isn't shaming or virtue signaling of saying, you know, hey, <laughs> look what I did, you know, and it, it, it has to be something like, you know, hey, hey, if this helps, it's great. If any, if somebody really wants and needs to see this today, hey, here's a, here's a pretty picture and, and you know, et cetera, and a smiley face and, Yep. And we'll move on. <laughs> yeah. And, and especially it, sometimes, too, if you can tag in a business, like if 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 your grocery store offers good uh, bike parking or they offer this nice, you know, convenient curbside where you just bike up and they come out, take a photo, tag them in so that people know, oh, this business is friendly towards people that don't just drive. And and at the same time, it will also let that business know that People notice, people appreciate it and hey, keep it up, you know, take care of us too. So yeah. 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 That's great. I love it. I love it. And it also reminds me of another recent uh, photo that you tweeted out, uh, which was from the Netherlands, which was of a grocery store with a whole bunch of bikes parked out in front of the grocery store. And, and I think someone from Sweden sort of, you know, chimed in and, and sort of lamented that, you know, at their grocery stores, he sees lots of cars parked there. And it, and it reminded me that because I've been to several grocery stores in Sweden where it's the same image that you saw, 
That's where design matters. That's where how we are allocating space is a matter of induced demand. Usually when we talk about induced demand, we talk about adding motor vehicle lanes and very quickly those motor vehicle lanes will get filled up by cars. Big surprise, Mm -hmm. right? It's the same thing. I I try to reinforce with folks that when we build activity assets, when we build pathways and trails and protected infrastructure for people walking and biking, when we build infrastructure like safe and inviting and visible bike parking, it's an induced demand. It, it yes. invites people to use it just like that image that you, you posted, which was a bunch of bike racks right in front of uh, that grocery store. That, that was a, that, that's an example of you don't need a bunch of words. I just let that image do the talking. I just said the basic what it is, where it is, and done, and then let people think about it. Yeah. Something something I, I get as pushback from a lot of my Netherlands photos, uh, which I also do get help from Mark because I haven't been able to be there in a while. You can only recycle so much media. And believe me, my camera reel is massive with Netherlands stuff. But sometimes I, I run out and Mark helps supplement me. <laughs> Very good friend. Thank you, Mark. And so I take those and I try to put my spin on them and and put them out there. But something I get uh, from a lot of people when I put nettle and stuff up is they say, oh, well, there's bike racks all over the sidewalk. That's not handicap friendly or blah, blah, blah. But it does start a discussion whenever you have to say, doesn't matter. People can use the street. They're not going to get hit by a car. They're not going to get run over or cars might not not even be allowed there. Sidewalks, you know, don't always have the same function there as they do here. So there's, there's, it it helps educate some people, you know, to, to show that our streets, just because you remove parking or car access does not discriminate against anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And Mark would be the first to to say too, that uh, many of these municipalities are, are continually dedicated to trying to fine tune and tweak things and, and, and get things better. And so when they do learn things of, you know, gosh, we've got way too many bikes, you know, parked in this area, it's becoming a hazard to people walking, becoming a hazard to somebody in a wheelchair, they start to, to, to think about ways. And one of the things that they're doing is uh, they're, they're actually identifying some retail space that's vacant and hasn't been used. And they're, yep. they're creating uh, bike parking facilities there so they can pull some of those bikes, if not all of those bikes off of those areas that are needed for uh, 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 people who, who may be physically challenged uh, in, in some way, being able to create safer spaces for everyone. And, uh, and that's a big part of it. So that's one of the things that I love about their spirit is they're always looking at doing things better. Or at the very least, they're like, okay, we, we hear you. The sidewalk's very crowded. Um, hmm, what should we do? Okay, close the street to cars. There, now you have the entire street. Problem right. solved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a shared space. It becomes a woo nerf in that case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Hey, how should our listeners follow along with your uh, inspiring journey that you're going through and your insights? Basically just Twitter. Okay. Uh, at American Feetzer. I don't have the um, patience or mental capacity to mess around on Instagram. I did for like a week and uh, deleted that. I'll never go back to Facebook. So I, I just, I fell into Twitter. I just, after that first Netherlands visit, I started 
for some weird reason, doing part of my Netherlands investigation on Twitter, bike Twitter and stuff. And then I just started tweeting some stuff and somehow there's like 4,500 people that are, I don't know, need somebody else to follow and they followed me. Um, and it turned into what it is. So yeah, Twitter, that's the only place. So, and your handle again is? Uh, at American Feetzer. Uh, Feetzer, geez, not everybody knows how to spell that. F-I-E-T-S-E-R. Fantastic. That's great. I love it. I love it. Uh, and if you do start getting your, your blog back up and you're, and you're doing, you know, that sort of stuff, I'll make sure I have the, the link to the blog in, in the show notes and on the landing page for this. And I'll have to make sure that I grab a couple of those photos that we talked about. And of course I'll have, uh, uh, live links to, uh, Mark's work as well as Jason's work. And, uh, so folks will be able to go do that. And uh, gosh, Brandon, it was such a pleasure officially meeting you. And, you know, this was such a wonderful chat. And best of luck on your move to Carmel, Indiana. And I'll be sure to follow up with you in the coming uh, weeks and months. Thank you so much for joining me on the Active Towns podcast. Yes, thank you very much, John. And one note, one last quick note. Yeah. So as we're preparing for moving, we, we had rented a storage space, uh, seven kilometers from here and we've been boxing stuff up and taking it there so that I can just pull the truck in and load it up. Very simple, easier than doing it here at an apartment building. So for the past month and, and I will continue to do so, I've been filling that storage space only by cargo bike. So that means boxing stuff up, loading it onto the work cycles. Everybody go buy work cycles and or a turn <laughs> and riding it over there. Um, and, and that's another thing I'm going to be proud about in the end. It's like, okay, I filled this entire thing and my wife as well. She helped by e-cargo bikes and I don't know. It's fun. I could load it all in the car and get it done quicker and easier probably, but that's not fun. Uh, I said fun again. <laughs> gotcha gotcha okay. okay that anyway there before i say fun again that's all i have to say john <laughs> i love it hey thanks once again and uh hey look forward to following up with you soon wonderful thank you john thank you all so much for tuning in to episode number 75 of the active towns podcast I hope you were entertained and inspired by this conversation with Brandon, a self-described regular guy who was fortunate enough to observe a different way of life and get genuinely curious enough to wonder what life could be like to ride more often and say, what the heck, let's just give it a try. And if you're out on Twitter, be sure to follow him. And again, he is at American Feetzer and Feetzer is spelled F-I-E-T as in Tom, S-E-R. I look forward to following up with Brandon after he and Tatiana get settled into their new community of Carmel. And in fact, I'll have the chance to visit Carmel next month while I attend the Walk Bike Places Conference, which is being held in Indianapolis. Oh, and by the way, if you too will be attending the conference, it would be wonderful to connect. Just drop me a line at john, that's J-O-H-N, at activetowns, that's plural, dot O-R-G. And be sure to tune in next week for a fascinating conversation about pocket neighborhoods with Ross Chapin. Okay, it's time for my final fundraising plug. 
I hope you'll please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Active Towns. Each and every donation, no matter how small, adds up, is truly appreciated, and makes a huge difference in allowing me to continue producing this content and grow this culture of activity movement, which is clearly spreading worldwide. Thank you so much for listening in and your support. Well, that's all for this week's episode. So until next time, this is John signing off by wishing you much activity, health, and happiness. Cheers. Cheers.